Good morning, everyone. It's uh, so glad that you're here this morning. Thank you for being with us. I know that uh, we are in this series, week three of this series, called Through the Valley. And, um, you know, it is about navigating life's disappointments. And so this morning, we're going to talk about Iowa football. <laughs> and we're going to start with the offense. And we might be here till next Sunday. So um, anyway, a little too long. You know, life is full of disappointments. I've been a Cubs fan all of my life. And uh, yeah, you know, it's one thing with sports, right? When we're disappointed, you can kind of change your expectations. You know, now I'm a Cubs fan, you know, so my, my expectations are so low, I'm just glad when they win, right? Just glad. But that's not how life works, really. Uh, you know, there's this gap, if you will, between maybe what our hopes and dreams are and, and what life often brings to us. And I was thinking about that, you know, in the course of my life in those different moments. You know, I, I went to college with this idea that, hey, it's going to be the best time of your life, right? And then you go and it's like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I belong here. How do I fit in? I'm not sure if I even like what I'm studying. What, what am I doing with my life? You know, it's like these expectations are so high and then the reality happens and it's like, oh, what do I do with that? And that's just one thing. Or you think about, you know, hey, I'm going to have this new start. I'm going to move to a new place or I'm going to start a new job. And you have these great expectations and suddenly you realize, oh, this is really hard. Life is not what I expected. It's, it's hard to, to feel like I belong or I'm here. Or what is this work all about? It doesn't feel meaningful or purposeful. I'm just getting a paycheck, but is that enough? Or you get married and suddenly the relationship ends. Or you're starting a family and you want to get pregnant and you can't seem to get pregnant or you lost another pregnancy or you're going along and you're doing great and life is good and suddenly you get a diagnosis that you didn't expect or you're grieving a loss or a dream is shattered or a loved one is gone you know it's this gap between these high expectations and in this reality and how in the world do we deal with life's disappointments? In so many cases, I feel like today, and I, and I want to say this because I think it's important to say, it feels like we're in this cultural moment where, where this disappointment is leading to disillusionment and even despair in record numbers. And so I want to say this, that if your disappointments, if you are feeling your disappointments are any of these three things that I have up on this slide then you are at risk, friends. You are at risk if you are feeling like your disappointments are just pervasive, like you cannot get away from it. It's just infiltrating every part of your life. Or if you're thinking that it is permanent, like you're in this hole where you just can't get out. You need to know you are at risk, okay? And you need to know that if you're feeling like it's personal, like God is after me, it's just like he's trying to destroy my life. If you're feeling that way, if any of those things are true, 
my encouragement to you is you need to go get help. And I say that as a pastor and a, and a friend because the reality is in, in our community, our little community of Grundy Center, we've had three deaths of despair, I would say, all in succession. And it's rocked our community. So if you're there, go get help. Get help. So the question this morning is, though, what did Jesus do in his deepest disappointments or moments of pain or suffering? Well, we actually can look because the Bible has recorded a couple of different scenes that I want us to look at. And it shows us what he did. And so the, they both come from the Gospel of Matthew. I want to look at Matthew 26. The setting is this, that Jesus is with his disciples. He's going to be arrested and then tried and then crucified. And so he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what it says. It says, I'm going to read these verses, but it says in verse 36, he went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then, you know, then it says in verse 38, he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So it's interesting. He does a couple of different things, doesn't he? The first is, he actually invites others into his pain. And now it's, I don't know if he did it for himself or he did it to model something for us. I'm, I'm convinced of that because really his disciples completely failed him, right? And so I want to talk about that a little bit later. But what does he do? He prays. That's what he does. He prays. He says, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you. He prays. That's what he does. In the midst of his disappointments, his despair, his pain, his suffering, he prays to the Father. And then I want to turn the page to chapter 27. This is on the cross, from the cross. It's recorded in verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, Jesus prays, but he doesn't just pray. He prays a particular form of prayer. He prays a particular scripture, which is actually Psalm 22, verse 1. He prays in an ancient practice called lament. He prays. What is lament? <laughs> well, it is an ancient form of prayer that is emotionally honest, expressing what we are feeling in our protest or pain or disappointment, and yet, and yet, clinging, clinging to this idea that God could actually do something about it. It is proclaiming in an honest way, in an honest way, 
our pain and our suffering. In fact, Jesus prays this prayer of lament. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced he probably had Psalm 22 memorized and he's probably going through it on the cross and he cries out. And I just want to turn to Psalm 22 because Psalm 22 is really uh, like, a, I guess, a template, if you will. An ancient form of prayer called lament that God's people used for thousands of years. He prays this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. It's like, why have you abandoned me? Why have you kept me alone? Why am I on an island? I love that. I think, I think about that for me. I think about that for us. When we are most deeply disappointed are we able to go to the Father and sort of honestly express our disappointment, our protest, our pain? Will we say things like that? You know, one of the things that I found is that it was almost hard for me to do that. Because I think as a guy, I'm not necessarily in touch with my emotions, right? I'm almost afraid of my own emotions. I'm angry, frustrated. Yet Jesus cries out this prayer. I can almost hear him. It's like, my God, my God. It's like, do you exist? Where are you? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. How many of you felt that and experienced that? During the day, I cry out, where are you, God? At night, I'm laying there in bed. Where are you? The first thing lament is, is more than anything, is this honest sort of conversation with God, with where we are. It's so important, this emotional honesty. I think there's a couple things about this that Jesus affirms, and that is this. One is, God can handle your emotion. He can handle your disappointment. In fact, he invites you to express it. That's a beautiful thing. He says this. It's okay to be honest with God. But then it goes in verse 3, and it starts with one little word in this, this psalm of lament, this pattern, if you will. He says, yet. It's almost like the first verse, it's, if you're wondering, does he really believe God? God, are you even there? And then he says, yet. That's a powerful word, isn't it? It's like where pain and belief sort of intermingle. Yet. You know, God, I'm not sure you're there Yet. Yet you're the one who is enthroned. You're the king. You're the one set apart to be king. Yet. You are the one Israel praises. You know, he can't personalize it. He can, like, he can identify with God's people. Oh yeah, God's people, they praise you. I'm not sure I'm there yet. And in fact, our ancestors put their trust, they trusted and you delivered them. 
There's this sort of journey that they're going on. There's this honest communication with God, this overflow of saying, God, I want to protest. I want to show my pain. And yet, yet I want to trust in your faithfulness. I know that you've been faithful in the past. Can you be faithful in the present? You know, one of the biggest things I, I have learned over these last couple of years, I, I've been with a group journeying together through the 12 steps, okay? It's really been really interesting for me to do that. And the first step is all about come to a place where I've realized that I'm just not in control of things. My own emotions, sometimes my behavior, all kinds of things. I'm just not in control. And I have to first start there. That's what step one is all about. Step two, you know what step two is? I came to believe that there was a power greater than me that could actually help restore my sanity. I think that's what prayer of lament is all about. It is being honest with God and then it's coming to this place of believing, God, can you do something about this? Can you do something about this? You've done it in the past. I'm trusting you to do it now. There is a power greater than me who could help restore me to sanity. And then he goes on in this psalm to sort of express this whole idea of honest sort of self-reflection and self-examination. Verse 6 and 7, he says, I'm a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. And he goes on to say in verse uh, 16 through 19, listen to these words. Dogs surround me. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, verse 14. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. It's like I'm a big, a big puddle. I'm just, just out on the floor. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. I didn't even know what a potsherd is, but it, I've had cotton mouth before, right? I know what it is. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. It's like I'm just pouring out my sort of, my need for God. I'm honest with God, but I'm trusting that he can do something about it. A few weeks ago, uh, I did a funeral for a friend, Dave Robeson, who is uh, basically volunteer staff at our church. And he helps with um, operation stuff out at Grundy Center. And his wife died, died suddenly. It was a death of despair, that's what I would say. And it was hard. And I remember, I'll not forget meeting with Dave and with his girls and uh, a couple other family members. And he's thankfully given me permission to share this with you. Um, he walked in and I said, what are you going through right now? And his first words were, I'm broken in half. 
And then one of the daughters uh, said, you know, I just feel lost. I feel confused. I mean, that is a prayer of lament, friends. It's being honest. It was honest. It was real. It was raw. It was so emotionally sort of real in that moment. And then uh, Dave's nephew actually said these words, and I thought, wow, that is so powerful. He said, you know, it's not that we don't believe, but God, can we just hear your voice? Could you speak to us right now? And so I think about what lament is all about, and actually, if you follow the pattern of Psalm 22, it is this honest communication with God. It is protest, it is pain, it is saying, here God, this is, this is what I'm going through. It's also this sense of, I'm declaring my trust in you, I believe that you are here, that you can do something, but then it's also about getting real and asking God what we actually need. What do we need? Verse 11, do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Or verse 19, I'll put them up, up there, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. In other words, be present with me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me. Do not be far. Deliver, rescue, save me. I mean, got real clear about what he needed, didn't he? Sometimes we need to do that. You know, at the moments when I have felt the most disappointed, the most sort of distant and pain and suffering in my life, you know what I needed to do? I needed to ask God for some things. I needed his grace and his sense of peace in this, in this kind of tension of unanswered questions. I just kept... Why, God? Why would this happen? Why would this happen now? And I could not resolve it. And I had to ask God, can you please just give me peace when I cannot answer the question? The other thing I needed to ask, I needed to ask it very clearly. I, I was so mad. I could not get rid of my mad. And I liked it, the feeling of it just seething inside of me. And I had to say, God, would you help me to surrender my mad? Would you help me to give over my mad? I don't know where you are, but maybe you need to get clear with your need. What do you really need? It's interesting, the psalm of lament, this one that Jesus quoted from the cross, it goes from this being honest about pain to this trust, this yet. I will believe you. I will trust you. It goes from protest all the way through pain and then actually the last Half of the psalm is all about praise, from protest to praise. It's crazy. Verse 22 is a good example. It says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. This promise of praise. It's really having the long view, if you will, 
to recognize that, that your worst days will get better. That there will be good things ahead for you. Think about this. Just, just think about it. Go, go back to Jesus on the cross. Jesus' worst day on this earth was the day that God did his most good. Think about that. Jesus' worst day was when God rescued us. He saved us, which holds out the hope, friends, that our suffering, like Jesus' suffering, can be redemptive. That there can be good that happens. There can be good that happens in us. There can be good that happens through us. There can be good days ahead. And let me just say this, we need each other to journey on this as we pray, as we trust, as we hope for God's very best to have the long view. I've just reminded again that Jesus invited these disciples who totally failed him into this pain. I was reminded of of Hebrews chapter 12. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, therefore, is sort of the summary statement. And so he's summarizing what happened the chapter before. And in chapter 11, this is, what I, this is my, the Brian summary of chapter 11. It is called the Hall of Faith, but it's all ordinary people. It's a whole long list of ordinary people who lived through extraordinary circumstances. And yet they trusted God to see them through. That's chapter 11. And so he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by all these people, this great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders. Run with Jesus. Run with Jesus. Here's the deal, friends. Whatever you're going through, there is a great cloud of witnesses out here today. A bunch of ordinary people who've gone through extraordinary circumstances. Many of you have stories of your own, and yet, maybe imperfectly, you are trying to trust God. And you are living a life of faith. Friends, we cannot forget that. We need to have the courage to hear those stories, to be inspired by those stories, to say that we can make it, And we can look to Jesus who endured the the cross. We're going to have a time. I want to pray for you. And we're going to have a time for you just to reflect just for a moment. And there's a few questions that that I want you to be thinking about in, in this time of reflection. 
Maybe we could put that slide up. What's the protest or pain or problem you want to express to God? I would encourage you just to let it sort of flow, whatever that is. And what does trust in God sound like to you? Can you express that in prayer? And who is that great cloud of witness? Who is that person that I need to talk to? That I might need some encouragement or I need to just share what's going on. I'd like for you to just take a few moments, have a conversation with God. Let me, let me pray for you as we do this. Let's pray together. Father, we come today and many of us are dealing with disappointment. Some of us, it's crossed over beyond sort of disillusionment. Maybe it's even verging on despair. So I pray for each one who's maybe feeling some of that. God, would you be very real and present? Could you remind us today that you are with us, that you want us to be honest before you, that you uh, listen, that our protest, God, if we would just follow you and trust you, could actually turn to prayer.